God. He's a God who makes covenants. And the interesting thing about our God is that every covenant he has made, he's been the one who's initiated it, and he's actually been the one who's paid the price for it. No more so, of course, than with the, the new covenant, the covenant under which we live. He paid the price. He paid the price, of course, the death of his only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through his death, we have received the benefits of the new covenant. And importantly, one of the benefits, there were five benefits under the new covenant or five aspects of the new covenant. The last one that we looked at was our eternal inheritance. And who knows that eternity starts now. It's not something we have to wait for in the sweet by and by, as the old country gospel song says. It actually starts in the here and now. Our eternal life has already started, believe it or not. It starts here on earth and continues with an eternal existence, either in heaven or in hell. And we'll talk about that at some length in the future as well. We spent two weeks, you might remember, talking about prosperity as a provision of the new covenant. It's part of our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. And we, we spoke about prosperity in terms of us each having enough to do what God has called us to do. The purpose of prosperity is not so that we can pile our wealth high and simply count it or admire it or even to use it for our own individual benefit. But the purpose of prosperity is actually to establish the gospel and to bless those in need. That's clearly what the Bible says. And so every one of us has a call and prosperity is the means by which we're resourced to actually give life to our calling. Last week, we introduced the subject of healing and I went through the scriptures from the Old Testament that established the heart of God as Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And we, we spoke about that healing to include specifically healing from disease and sickness. It's not just a spiritual healing. Some people do try to spiritualize it and say, well, we've actually got to wait until the second coming of Jesus before we can access physical healing or we have to wait until we die when we get a new and perfect body. But we discovered from the scriptures that in fact healing is for here and now. In fact, as sons and daughters of the living God, as siblings of Jesus, as his brothers and sisters were actually entitled to walk in perfect health, divine health that's part of our inheritance it's a rightful inheritance won for us by Jesus Christ at the cross let's not diminish what he achieved at the cross let's believe fully that when Christ said from the cross it is finished he had actually completed the work for which he had come to earth to perform we invited people last week you will recall to come forward and to receive prayer for healing we had our anointing oil and we invited people to be anointed. And I know that things have been going on over the last week for 
a number of us who received that prayer and anointing for healing. Uh, you might recall we had a visitor last week, Lizzie. And you know, she had had a pelvis injured when she was, I think, a teenager in an accident. And for 15 years, she'd been in pain. And we prayed and I, I said to her, and I'm going to touch on this today actually, that um, she, she wanted to repent for sin. I said, I don't think you need to do that because your issue isn't faith in God and that's not a sin, not having faith in God. The issue is unbelief, right? Just not actually believing in the promises. And so we prayed for a creative miracle and Jeanette was praying for her. For her. Jeanette actually laid hands on her and Jeanette felt a rearrangement of the bones in her pelvis and Lizzie contacted Ainsley and Jeanette, I think it was on the Sunday night, and said, I'm, I will be here on the Gold Coast on Monday, I'd like to come and see you. So they actually got together on Monday and she was able to testify that she felt that that work was continuing. So God was rearranging and repairing her bones. You know, if God can and will do that for one person, how many others will he do it for? All. I'll show you why. Just a quick recap on last, uh, last week. The provision is for, sorry, the provision is through the inheritance we have in Jesus and it's for all Christians. So anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, anybody who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ can access the provision for healing because God has no favourites. God didn't provide healing for just a few. You know, take your number and we'll pull a few out of a hat and those who come out of the hat will be healed. That's not the way our God is. He's not capricious. He's not lotto. He never changes. And we had that testimony from Lizzie and we're believing for, for continuation of that healing. She doesn't have to live in pain for another 15 years. And I believe that God will heal. And anyone who comes through these doors can expect to be prayed for by people who are filled with faith in God and belief in his promises. Remember we talked about the nature of faith. Our faith is in God, a person. Our faith is built up as we develop our relationship with him as we come to trust Him as our Heavenly Father, and as we trust Him as our Heavenly Father, we believe what He says. It's very similar to how it works in our own family. I look at little Evie down here. Do you know the one person who can console her when she's upset is Ainsley. Why? Because she can trust Ainsley. She's got faith in Ainsley. And when she gets a little bit older and she can understand language when Jeanette makes her a promise she will believe in the promise because of her faith her trust her absolute confidence in Ainsley and that so it is in our relationship with God so we obtain healing if we're sick by faith in God and belief in his promises I mentioned last week that it would be utterly irresponsible of me to 
teach on healing as I did without then addressing the issue of, but I'm not healed. Because sadly, sometimes our experience doesn't immediately and sometimes never does align with the promises in God's word. I want to say this, God's promises never fail. God's desire is always for all who are Christians to be healed. His desire is that we would actually walk in divine health, that we'd never actually come under the attack of disease or sickness. But I think we have to recognise, you know, that there is a degree of exclusivity in Christianity. Healing is for Christians. Healing is for people who belong to the kingdom of God. Now, don't stop listening here because I want to address a whole range of other issues. But right now, we're talking about healing as a provision for those who are Christians. It's part of the kingdom. It's a kingdom thing. All right? It's a kingdom thing. I want to read to you the story of Nicodemus. Many of you will know this story. You would have read it many times in the Gospel of John. Um, I'm reading from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And uh, I am reading around the key verses because I want to make sure that we understand the context in which the statements are being made. It's all too easy to just pluck a scripture out of thin air and then start to build a doctrine around it. That's what they call proof texting. It's not a good way of understanding the heart of God. Jesus actually told Nicodemus that he had to be born again in order to enter the kingdom. This is what it says. There was a man of the Pharisees. And by the way, the, 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 uh, Nicodemus was probably a good man because he had clearly heard some of what Jesus was teaching and he had some questions for Jesus. So there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was fairly high up in the hierarchy of the temple. This man came to Jesus by night, so he was doing it in secret so that the others in his cohort wouldn't know that he was seeking some teaching from Jesus. And uh, he goes to Jesus and this is what he says, Rabbi, sometimes that's translated as teacher. Rabbi, now Nicodemus was according Jesus high status as someone who was very well versed in the scriptures and who was a legitimate teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus actually was one of those Jews who recognised that Jesus was who he said he was, unlike many of the other rulers among the Jews. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So healing being something which is available in the kingdom of God requires us to actually be in the kingdom of God. How do we get into the kingdom of God? We get into the kingdom of God by being born again. Sometimes we call that being saved. Uh, In some traditions they call it saying the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, you won't actually find in the Bible. But it's all about surrendering to Jesus and saying, on my own and of myself, I am nothing and I can do nothing and I deserve absolutely nothing. But I come to you as I am and I surrender everything to you. And I make a decision in my heart to become a follower of Jesus and to allow the Holy Spirit to live in me. And at that point, your spirit is regenerated and you become a new creation and you're instantly translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God. So when you're in the kingdom, you become a son or a daughter of the one true living God. You become a brother or a sister of Jesus. And as such, you become one who receives that eternal inheritance of prosperity and of good health. So, when we observe someone perhaps who has actually come forward for prayer and healing doesn't come, a question to be asked is, am I saved? (coughs) Have I actually, truly given my heart to Jesus? Have I allowed the Holy Spirit to regenerate my spirit and make me a new creation? And I ask this question not because I'm questioning any of you as individuals, but because one thing I've observed, particularly in Pentecostal churches, is that you can easily, from the pulpit, create an emotional atmosphere, a soulish atmosphere in which people feel guilty of sin and will rush forward and they will say the sinner's prayer. But let me tell you something, it's not about what the person up the front with the loud voice and the microphone says that tugs on your emotional strings that is actually any part of this experience because the Bible says very clearly in the book of John that it is a work of the Holy Spirit convicting the world of sin. And actually if you've been convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit, by the time you get to the front and say the prayer, you're already saved. Because it's what's going on, it's a transaction, it's an internal transaction. It's a transaction of the spirit. And I, I don't have any desire that anybody should feel condemned because the word of God says very clearly, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. But I do wonder sometimes when I see thousands of people responding to a so-called altar call, 
but you don't see the churches growing by thousands and thousands and thousands, whether or not it was just an emotional thing or whether, in fact, that spiritual transformation took place. And it's worth reflecting on. Are you really in the kingdom of God or have you simply given an emotional, soulish or mental response? There are lots of people in churches today who are going to get a big shock when they leave this life and they're going to say to Jesus, but didn't I go to church every Sunday? But didn't I put the rubbish out after church every Sunday? But didn't I preach good sermons every Sunday? And Jesus will say, I didn't know you. Why? Because you never gave me an opportunity to actually regenerate your inner man, your spirit man, and he never gave me an opportunity to have relationship with you. Everyone's feeling pretty quiet. I told you last week you'd feel uncomfortable, didn't I? So don't say I didn't prepare you. Don't say I didn't. But I just think it would be utterly irresponsible for people to think all I've got to do is ask and I'm going to be healed because sometimes that's not our experience and a lot of people fall away from the church because they're disappointed when their experience doesn't line up with what they thought their walk meant. I want to turn to another issue and I, I really think, I, I really want to focus on this issue. And look, I might not get any further than this slide today. I don't care. Because I love you enough to want to present the truth as best I can. And I want to see us all walking fully in the life that Christ died that we might have. Oftentimes, you know, we have faith. We have faith. You know, we've walked with the Lord for many, many years. And I've known some of you here since we moved to the Gold Coast. We've been living here for nine years. And, you know, I've seen your walk. I, I know about your prayer. I know your faithfulness. Yet sometimes, you know, the answer doesn't come. Or the answer takes a long, long time to come. And I want to suggest that it's very helpful in our thinking to look at faith and belief, if you like, as two sides of a coin, but they're not identical. Remember, one of the points I've made over and over again is that our faith is in God and our faith grows because of our personal relationship with him. Our belief is in his promises. I actually think this is possibly the biggest barrier to healing and prosperity for that matter to people in the church. And I want to read to you the uh, incident of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Because here, Jesus distinguishes between faith 
and belief. Now, I, I might get into a bit of strife with, with theologians, I don't know, but I, I've studied the, the original language, the Greek, and I think it would be a very difficult task for the translators to know for sure when they should translate these Greek words into faith or belief. It's a pretty fine line. And what translators do is when it is not always clear just exactly what nuanced meaning they should uh, impart to the particular English words they use, they have a look at the context in which the word appears. And I, I think that the translators have done, a, or who am I to say really, because I'm an economist, I'm not a theologian, right? All my training is in economics, not in, 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 uh, in theology. But, you know, I have read the Bible for a long time and I've studied it and I've reflected on it and I've prayed about it and I've written a lot of notes about it. And I think they are correct in distinguishing between faith and belief. So let me read out quite a long passage from the book of Mark. It's chapter 11, verses 12 to 24. Now the next day, when they'd come out from Bethany, he, that's Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from after, and, and seeing from after a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And, <coughs> pardon me. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now, I'm not here to talk about throwing the, um, all these traders out of the temple, but this gives you some context in terms of the conversation Jesus was having with his disciples. So they come away. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered him and said, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So the keys are, have faith in God. And if you have faith in God built up over a long time through relationship, you will then have belief. And Jesus demonstrated, you see, 
he demonstrated because he spoke to a fig tree. I suppose in a sense the fig tree was naughty because Jesus was hungry and it wasn't about to provide him any food. But Jesus spoke to that fig tree, he cursed that fig tree and said, you'll never again bear fruit. And the next day it was dead and it had died from the roots up, which is a bit unusual because trees usually die the other way. They usually die from the leaves down and often it's the top or outer leaves that die first. But this tree, I'm not sure how they knew whether they dug it up and had a look. And fig trees have a very long taproot. It might have taken a long time to dig it up. But there it was. It was dead. It had died from the roots up. Why did it happen? Because Jesus believed in the words he spoke because he himself had faith in his heavenly Father. So when you pray, you pray believing. I want to read to you another passage also from the book of Mark. And again, this is a fairly long passage, but I'm reading the whole of uh, verse, verses 19, uh, 40 to 29 out of Mark chapter 9. I, I really worry when people um, sort of form a message just using scraps of scripture. It's really not good practice. So I, if you can bear with me, I want to read this long passage. It runs for about 14 verses. But there's a very, very important lesson in here for us. So this is Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Now they were actually disputing about the miracles that Jesus had been performing, right? So they, all these people from the traditional uh, religious hierarchy, they kind of cornered the disciples and they were having an argument with them because they had observed all the, the works, the miracles that Jesus had been doing. You know, Jesus didn't fail to heal anyone who was brought to him. And that didn't suit the lawmakers in Israel. And so they're having an argument with the disciples. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered him and, answered him and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it sees him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. This is interesting. He answered them and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. The second hymn is in uppercase, so they brought the child to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, that's Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father said, from childhood, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him 
who believes. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I think what he was saying was, I believe in you, Lord, but help me in my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come out into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now a lot of people have actually interpreted that as meaning sometimes we can't heal people unless we get into prayer and fasting. But I don't actually think that's what it means. Because you see, then suddenly we're into a works-based faith and our faith isn't works-based. Okay? I don't think that this passage is saying to us if there is a problem with healing then we should all go away and fast. We've already prayed and Jesus has said this kind cannot come out except by prayer and fasting. I actually would like to suggest to you that he's actually speaking about this kind of unbelief. You see, prayer and fasting is a discipline. And it's a discipline by which we become more firmly established on the Word of God and on building a relationship with Him. Because when you fast, you're really saying to your mind or your soul and your body, I'm disciplining you to come into line with the Spirit. That's what the purpose of fasting is all about. It's not to twist God's arm. It's not to get a devil out when your first prayer didn't work. I don't believe it can be so because we're told so many times in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the epistles in particular, that we have it all by God's grace, not by our works. Our works can never qualify us for a blessing from God. Our works are always our response. To what God has provided because of his grace. Do you see that? Because of his grace. I want to, yes I will, I will have time just to go and talk a little bit about sinning. Can I talk a bit about sinning? I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm trying hard not to look at anybody in particular. <coughs> When I learned about public speaking, I often train people in public speaking. Uh, I've done that for, for quite a while. And how important it is in, in our culture, eye contact is really important. In some cultures, it isn't. Right, Pepe? It wouldn't be in your culture, would, would it? Is, is eye contact a, a good thing in, in, in a Filipino culture? It's respectful. It's respectful? Yeah. See, in, in, in China, for example, and in the Middle East, Eye contact isn't a good thing. 
So when I used to do business in the Middle East in the previous job, I used to be very careful not to cross my legs, and you're not allowed to show anybody the soles of your feet, and you need to be extremely careful about making eye contact because it's really asking, it's a bit like, you know, in the old days, literally throwing down the gauntlet and, and um, starting a, um, a duel. So you've got to be very careful. But uh, in our culture, eye contact is pretty important. Uh, but the trouble is, you know, when you're up the front, you're not literally making eye contact with individuals, but often individuals think you are, right? So I'm not, I'm not trying to make eye contact with anybody and single anybody out. But I do want to talk a little bit about the whole thing about healing and sinning. Um, and it's interesting, you know, because it's quite true that Jesus healed sinners, And there are examples in the Bible of people who were what we would think of as sinners. Now, let me just explain to you what a sinner is. A sinner is someone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, all right? So a sinner is essentially someone who's not saved. You see, because whether or not you're a sinner, that is God's business, not our business, right? God is the one who determines whether or not we are a sinner, and the Bible makes it pretty clear that if we're not saved, we're sinners. It's in our nature. We have the Adamic nature. But see, once we're saved, we no longer have that nature because our spirit is regenerated. We are a new creation. We become an entirely new person. As far as God is concerned, we're no longer sinners, but we're saints. Amen. All right? But Jesus, nevertheless... He did heal sinners, people who were ignorant, one, because they didn't have access to Bible apps on their mobile phones, they didn't have access to the written word, and uh, at best they might have heard or, or, or actually been present when Jesus performed signs and wonders, uh, miracles of healing. But I, wanna, I, I think we need to go beyond simply saying, oh yeah, but Jesus healed sinners. See, I, I've made the, the claim that healing is exclusive, that it's for those who are Christians. And yet, we find some cases in the New Testament of where Jesus healed people who were clearly sinners. All right? So here's one example. It's in John. Uh, John 5.14, where Jesus, after healing someone, says, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And I want to, again, I want to read out the whole passage, and I will draw it to a close here, and we will continue next week. I, I told you I might not finish today, but that's okay. All right, because I'm going to live until I'm 120. I've got 59 years to go to finish this off, all right? So if I don't finish it today, it's quite okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I want to read to you from John chapter 5, verses 2 to 14. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, that's in the wall, a gate in the wall, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralysed, waiting for the moving of the water. 
For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever diseases he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time, said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man, and this is interesting, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Man, I oh mean, this is just like conversations Jeanette and I have. Because all I want her to do is to tell me yes or no. You know, I keep saying to her, just tell me yes or no. Jesus said to this joker, do you want to be made well? And he didn't say yes. He gave a whole heap of excuses. He basically said, well, I haven't been made well because of my condition and I can't get down to the water fast enough. Oh, I'm such a victim. Someone always beats me and I'll never get healed. I tell you what, he's lucky Jesus was in a good mood that day. Because Jesus just said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now listen to this. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Oh my goodness, here's a bloke who was crook for 38 years. He gets healed and all the flippin' Jews can do is to say, we've got a law that says you can't carry a bed on the Sabbath. Oh my goodness. That's a bit of an aside anyway, but fair dinkum, what was wrong with these people, eh? Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. But afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Wow. Now look, that was what Jesus said to someone who was a sinner. He didn't even know who Jesus was because it says it here. Jesus had to seek him out later on. So there's an important lesson here. For the Christian, for one who is actually living out their life in the kingdom and therefore has access by way of their eternal inheritance to healing, can forfeit their healing because of willful known sin. And I would strongly urge you, if you know that you are willfully sinning, that is, you know it's a sin and you keep it up, can I suggest now would be a good time to go to the Lord in prayer and give it up? Because it's a little bit like being in the rain, you know, with an umbrella. Why do you take an umbrella out in the rain? is to keep the rain off, okay? But I'll tell you what, if you're out in the rain like it was raining last Friday afternoon and you're holding up your umbrella, and I haven't got enough arms, but you hold up, you stick your arm out, it's going to get wet. Isn't that true? That, it's just like that when there is known willful sin in the life of a Christian. No longer are you under the umbrella, you're hanging outside the umbrella, and you're going to get wet. So you cannot expect to receive healing, which is your rightful inheritance, 
as a son or daughter of the one true living God if there is willful known sin in your life. Three words, get, I can't count. Four words, get rid of it. Okay? Now that's a bit of a downer to finish on and I would have finished on an up note and I'll do that next week because I want to continue with a discussion of the notion of whether or not it is ever God's will to heal some people and not others. Now I'll tell you the answer. It is never God's will to heal some people and not others. Never, ever, ever because God is not a capricious God. And if we accuse him of being capricious then we've got a funny God in mind. Because there is no evidence anywhere in the word of God that God decides to heal one person but not another person. Bearing in mind that healing is the privilege of the Christian, the person who is in the kingdom of God. Alright, if I didn't make you feel uncomfortable today, I'm going to have another shot at it.